one of the abilities is one of the first ones I ever it was probably like throw a tantrum throw a tantrum for the aristocrats <laughs> we're like okay there's a scene there's a, something going on and uh, you need to make a distraction what can you do I'm like I'm gonna use my ability throw a tantrum phenomenal. <laughs> if you've listened to enough of my interviews I think you can probably tell when I'm really enjoying myself and this is one of those interviews I sat down with Chelsea and Fleur Shortino, and these two sisters made me laugh, taught me about game design, and really are a bit of an inspiration for all of us out there who think, you know what, I've got an idea for a game. Their unique backgrounds and their breadth of experience with all different types of games, I think have led to Flabbergasted. When the inspiration for the RPG is faulty towers and around the world in 80 days, you know you're gonna catch my interest. Anyway, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Chelsea and Fleur. Third Floor Wars delivers interviews, insights, and discussions about everything hitting the tabletop. Rule books, plastic models, dice, and cards in hand. Let the gaming begin. Tabletop games let you escape and unleash grand battles and regale epic tales of adventure with your friends. If you love gaming and learning from players, designers, experts, and creators, you are in the right place. Pull up a chair. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk Podcast. Howdy friends, Craig here. Today we talk to designers Fleur and Chelsea Shortino, the sisters bringing us the game Flabbergasted. Fleur is a freelance illustrator and designer. She's created and worked on books, board games, video games, film and animation storyboards, along with some commercial work with agencies. Her work has been published in many international publications, and she has worked with clients like Penguin Random House and Scholastic. Fleur is also an avid gamer, sci-fi fan, and obsessed with tabletop RPGs. So Fleur, welcome to the third floor. Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> Good Lord, you and I have so much in common. We love a lot of the same things. It's super oh no, exciting. Who would have, would have thought? <laughs> I'm not nearly as accomplished as you are. I, I think the list would have been shorter if I said, this is what she's not done. <laughs> <laughs> But before we get into all of that, Fleur, unfortunately, you have to uh, survive the classic question that every podcast you've been on asks. So it's your origin story, right? So there was a day that you knew nothing about tabletop gaming. You didn't know that you could roll dice, move pieces, or, or, or grab a sheet of paper and pretend to be another person. And then one day it was put in front of you for the first time. So can we go back there and you can let me and tell me, you know, what, what was that day when you first were exposed to the hobby? Mm -hmm. So, uh, as you mentioned, like I've been, uh, I first started out playing video games the most uh, and I've been playing video games for like since PlayStation 1 and, uh, you know, me and my sister were sharing controllers, just play, taking turns playing games. So uh, we've been very into video games and I became more interested in uh, uh, like role-playing narrative driven uh, video games. So very much into Skyrim and Fallout and uh, uh uh, Mass Effect, Dragon Age, that kind of stuff. And uh, in fact, like uh, I became very, very obsessed with Dragon Age. I, I fell in love with the whole the whole world, and so like I really uh, dove into um, any possible extra like material that comes with, like aside from the game. So started delving into books, into I don't know fan fiction, fan art, this kind of stuff. And then um, 
uh, I was gifted uh, by my sister and a few friends for my birthday one day, uh, the Dragon Age tabletop role-playing game by Green nice. Ronin. And we're like, okay, I mean, I'm surprised I'm going to be playing role-playing games because like, I used to say for the longest time, like, I may be like a video game geek, <laughs> but I'm not like one of those. Like, I'm not basically. that geek. I'm not, I'm not like a Dungeons and Dragons geek. We're, like, we're not there yet. But I'm like, okay, fine. But only because it's Dragon Age, just going to try this out. And uh, my sister was, uh, Chelsea was the game master for our first session. We had no idea like how this was played at all. Like this was before like critical role, like hit mainstream and like yeah. ev- everyone knew like what role playing was. Like she start- just started opening the book. Okay, we're going to do a role play. Let's start. And she starts reading off descriptions, um, like saying, uh, prepare a battle. Do not let them know that there is a secret thing. <laughs> 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 Don't let them know that to oh, kill no. the goblin. <laughs> if they're all six or higher, just read everything out. It's horrible. Uh, and yet, despite that, um, it we, like we still pushed through, and then we actually like picked up and learned what how to actually play, and and yeah, like that was our first one. We played Dragon Age for about uh, probably like three years. Wow. And then we, you know, then she shifted to Dungeons and Dragons, like everyone else does, like eventually falls into Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. <laughs> and since then we've tested out like other, um, other systems, like small indie ones, other bigger ones like Cthulhu or stuff like that. Um, we also have reached the peak beyond uh, role playing, which we're into LARPing as well now. So we've reached that peak as well. <laughs> If only the, 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 if you, if like, if you knew that that was your future, you'd be like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did say at some point, like, okay, we may be like tabletop, ner- like, you know, tabletop role playing, but not at least we're not like one of those, not one of those weirdos in the forest of elf fears, but. Really isn't the that. isn't the hierarchy fascinating though and it um i had uh, jason morningstar on the show uh and um he and i got into a long conversation about larping because he's very involved in that hobby and uh produces a lot of materials for it and i i told him i said like you know, I, it's a little too much for me. Like, I feel like I'm not, like, like it scares me a little bit. Like it doesn't, you know, I, I respect it and I get it. Like, I understand why people love LARPing, but it's just like, it's just a little too much for me. And Jason's like, dude, you're wrong. He's like, you just gotta <laughs> try it. <laughs> yeah. He's like, once you try it, you, you realize that you're wrong. And, and, and I think about it kind of like the way you said, Fleury, like you, you you didn't know what tabletop gaming was. So tabletop gaming, role-playing, like, Ooh, no, that's a little too much. And then you try it. You're like, Oh my God, this is fantastic. So I have a sneaking suspicion that I would absolutely love it. Now, whether I do it or not, it'll be a different thing, but uh, <laughs> it'll be absolutely fascinating. So going back though, Fleur, as you started to explore Dragon Age and started to play Dragon Age, do you have a sense of when it clicked for you? And not like mechanically, like you understood the game, but when you found yourself thinking about it afterwards and going, God, I really want to play again. And like, do you get a sense of when, when, when it got its hooks into you and you realized that like you really like role-playing? Uh, yeah, it probably happened about like, I like maybe half a year or so into getting the game, um, which is that like first was playing me and my sister, just a couple of friends, and we were like keeping this nerdy hobby to ourselves, and we were we were we didn't really know what we were doing too much. Like the characters were a bit like uh, vague or uh, shallow, and just exploring it. And then yeah, um, uh, like maybe like I don't know, like six months later. Um, I, I told my friends, I'm like, oh yeah, we started role-playing a bit. And they're like, you're role-playing? Like, I've been running, like doing a forum role-playing for like like eight years now or something. Like, I have to join and we have to do something together. And we're like, okay. And then we started expanding. We got some more um, 
other perspectives of people who've been role playing for a lot longer. Yeah. And then we just like we really lost ourselves in this. I think we we started playing at like the right age as well. We were like very early twenties. We were all still in school. We had like a lot of vacation leave and um, vacation and some and weekends were free, and we would have like sessions that would last like literally like twelve hour sessions wow. in a day. Every <laughs> that Saturday. was a dream. Every Saturday <laughs> we'd we'd we plan our lunches and dinners all together, and we'd do our shopping and then spend all day just delving oh, into this world great. and. Really, like just losing ourselves, we started drawing comics of our our characters and fan art, and um, and yeah. So, like when we actually expanded to our full group of friends, and like we were, we all became really invested in this. We got to really delve into the lore of Dragon Age as well. Um, so yeah, at that point, it like really, really clicked. And you, we we had already figured out, and by we I mean you, um, had already figured out that that you can go in head first, right? Because that happened with the video game, right? You mm-hmm. started playing the video game, and then you found yourself just diving in completely and 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 surrounding yourself with it. So it's interesting that it sounds like it happened again with role playing. That whatever that is in you that says I am going to like I want to surround myself with all of this, it it sounds like it happened a second time. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, because like I think. You know, when we first started playing it, we were really following the book by the script. We didn't know we could really like um, expand way further and really create the stories we really want to tell. Like we thought yeah. we were, we're following it very like formulaic. And then when we got this more like outside perspective, we're like, oh my god, we can create like really epic campaigns and just. Um, it was really good. I miss those days of like the... <laughs> you were so innocent. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like we do a four-hour campaign and we're like so tired by the end. <laughs> so you go from Dragon Age and then you said you explored D&D, which, you know, is still, you know, fantasy, right? So wizards and dragons and things like that. Do you have a sense of a game that made you really understand just how big this hobby was and how how much it goes can go beyond swords and 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 and, and you know spells and things like that? Was there a game that really kind of blew your mind a little bit? Um from all the tabletop role playing games uh hmm. um I probably it probably still remained with uh, Dungeons and Dragons, because we like it as even like as a system, it's not too different from the first system we started with, and uh, and like the, as we're just like progressing with D and D, we were learning about home brewing, yeah, and then we were like, okay, you know what, I really want to play like I, I did Dragon Age, like I want to play Mass Effect now, and so we did like our own homebrew versions using nice. the mix and matching D and D and Dragon Age, and then like we started from there, I'm like. Man, Star Wars. I really like Star Wars. How about? And I started finding like the fantasy flight Star Wars yep. games, and um, but yeah, Dungeons and Dragons. I would say was probably was like my jumping board to realize that there was way more that I could do. Like from all of the homebrews that we were reading, like you can have a Wild West steampunk version of D and D, and yep. you can. I don't know, and then there was like we really dove into Humblewood a lot. Like when that came out, <laughs> we were really like, into that. Just like cute, cute, fun animal stuff. Um, uh yeah m- mostly it was D, and then we did tr- try like some other things like i did some cthulhu as well mm-hmm. um and then now in more recent years like in the past two years i've tried uh um uh, the genesis i quite liked it yeah it was really fun and uh tales from the loop where we started doing more um so good i really enjoyed Tales from the loop yeah, yeah. We're, 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 we're moving away so it took a while but like i've been playing for about eight years um but like eventually it clicked that like 
I'm really, really into like the social aspect of role playing. I'm more, more just narrative building or yeah. exploration. So in the past like two, three years, that's what I, we've been like seeking out, you know, like, so for instance, Desmond Luf was a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think also what happens too, um, and I don't think people talk about it enough is you get better at learning games, right? So for a long time, you get comfortable with D&D, right? Mm-hmm. You're familiar with the mechanics. So hacking it and turning it into a Wild West steampunk isn't that hard because you know how the mechanics work. And it, it can be tough to jump to another system because then you have to learn all new mechanics, all new rules. But I have found now it's much easier for me at least to pick up a new game because I just, I think it's a skill. It's a skill to be able to look and figure out how to digest the information and, and also <laughs> realize the first time we play it, we are going to get rules wrong and that's okay. We'll fix it next time. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, I think it's a, an acquired skill. And I think it happens as you're into the hobby more, which is obviously the phase that you're in now, which is fan, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, Uh, Let's talk to our next guest. Chelsea is an architect with a passion for all games, video games, board games, tabletop role playing, and most recently LARPs, which we already talked about. She turned her passion for storytelling and writing into the running of Wanderer's Tome. She's written two murder mystery games and now her first tabletop role playing game flabbergasted. Chelsea, welcome to the third floor. Thanks. Thanks for having us. So we we got a little bit of your origin story because you were the original, you were the first game master in this dynamic duo. But thank you. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> how did you find tabletop gaming, though? Was that also the first game that you had come across or were you already playing other tabletop role playing games at the time? Uh, well, yeah, since, since me and Flair are sisters, we have the same everything, same story. We have the same friends. We go into everything at the same time. Now we're making games together. It's just, just can't get rid of. <laughs> uh, so very, yeah, very similar origin story. I'd say, um, or I know Flair was really obsessed with Dragon Age, which I was too. Um, I didn't know much about tabletop playing games. I was also, I'm younger than Flair, so uh, maybe that was a part of it. Um, I didn't, I didn't know anything. All, all I know is that she wanted the game. We, me and my <laughs> friends, bought her the game. I'm like, I'm going to treat her to a, to a nice session. I'm going to open this book. No preparation. I'm going to open this book yeah. in front of her. And I'm going to start reading. It That's was, fantastic. It was garbage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> horrible. Uh, and we kept it up. I, to be honest, it was me and my sister and a couple of friends. We wanted, we wanted to try this, uh, this world of tabletop opening because we, we hear so much about it. Yeah. It felt like it was a step, like we said, you know, when you're playing video games, like, oh, no, that's too nerdy. But so many people are into it. Uh, and the longer we played it, like Fleur said, I just fell in love with the narrative aspects of role playing. So I, I don't care too much about battles and dungeons. <laughs> My favorite parts are always the in-between parts where we just were so silly and there's a like montage of buying clothes or, you know, whatever <laughs> it is. <laughs> Putting on disguises to go to a ball, like those moments were my favorite and what I remember the most from these past like ten years of tabletop role playing games. Uh, and then we, again, LARPing was the next, the next point, which was a bit too much. And who's responsible for that, Chelsea? Did you drag Fleur to to LARPing, or did she drag you? Well, before LARPing, we started the more accessible LARPing, which are murder mystery games. 
Yeah. Right. I think probably Flair started one for Halloween. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, quite, I quite enjoy hosting like parties a lot. <laughs> and any excuse to put on a costume, you know, I, I enjoy it. So so it was a good way of tying it in together. And like we did our first murder mystery with a big group of friends and it was the, the, the gateway drop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was, we just bought some pre-made murder mysteries that those eventually we kind of felt like we played all the good pre-made games. Uh, so we're like, let's just let's just write our own for our friends, you know, pick a, a theme that we all really, really love. Like we did one inspired by what we do in the shadows because we're all obsessed with that with that show. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, and after that, I think it was Flair's idea to go to an international LARP. She's she really loves Witcher. I love Witcher, too. We decided to go to the Witcher International LARP and I was just. Out of this world experience. Was it really? Oh, so so Incredible. again, as a as a person who has this invisible force field with, between me and LARPing, <laughs> like I, I want to hear about that. So Chelsea, you guys get there to this Witcher International LARP event, and like, what was the experience that made? Or maybe here's let me phrase it a different way. When did you realize I was wrong and this is amazing? I already felt that way during Murder Mysteries because even though it's a short LARP. There's something about pretending to be somebody else, being in costume, a different accent and everything. I love it so much. I love pretending to be someone else. And, <laughs> and a LARP is just that, but a hundred times more immersive because you're, you're doing you know, a whole weekend of, I literally, by the end of the weekend, I believe I am this person. I believed I was a witcher. I was a witcher. Yeah. Witcher. You, were, you were a witcher. You were a witcher. I was a witcher. <laughs> <laughs> I was witcher green by the end of. That weekend, I believed it. Oh, I believed I passed my cool. trial. It's so I, I should I should say that the, the LARPs that we did do. So you can do LARPs that are like you know eight hours in a forest with your friends nearby. But once we did, where they're called like blockbuster LARPs. They mm-hmm. they come with they have like a, a cast of um like fifty NPCs, a special effects team, a makeup so team backstage. Uh, they on like we stayed in a proper like Polish castle for this. Wow. We had monster hunts at night. Yeah. It's extremely fully immersive. I was generally That's terrified amazing. during the trial. I, I knew I was going to be okay, but I was still petrified because they blindfold you to get you to the trial. And then they're... Anyway, I'm not going to spoil anything, just in case anyone wants to do <laughs> the, the Witcher uh, LARP. And after that, we went to College of Wizardry which blew my mind even more. I loved College of Wizards because it's a lot more open to, you can create whatever you want, whereas Witcher's maybe slightly more... More structured. Structured, yeah. yeah. Uh, and we love it so much, we're going again next March and hopefully oh, wow. every year. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Very, very cool. So the two of you have now immersed yourself at the hobby at that point, right? You guys are playing the role-playing games. You're, you're loving D&D. You're exploring other things like Call of Cthulhu and stuff like that. At what, and, and you both are very creative, right? We talk about in your bios, you know, architecture, design, like it's part of your DNA um, to be creative, obviously, based on what you do outside of the hobby. But I was wondering at what point did either of you or both of you start going just beyond hacking D&D, just beyond uh, creating adventures for each other or creating uh, murder mysteries for each other. Like, at what point do you say, I think we, wa- I think we want to make a game? Um, this has actually been building up for a long time because um, 
I'm not if you can chime in as well. I think maybe it was more on uh like for me because I'm more into illustration and comics and kind of stuff. So yeah. um I've always had basically like since the age of like I don't know 16, I've always had a project that we've been working at. So it's been for a while it was comic anthologies. We've done a lot of um digital games together, usually like in game jams. Mm-hmm. I at, at, at like when I was like 22, I got a fun to do a point and click adventure game with a, another friend of mine. Um, so just this thing, like where like every year I'm like, I have to have like a project to invest into, you know, my energy and I stuff. I totally get that. It's been going on for a long time. Um, it, it wasn't until the murder series that we started, I started doing this more with my sister. Like you were contributing like towards the end of like our game jams more and more because you were getting more interested yeah. in like, uh, game engines and she did like even though she studied architecture like she, she tied architecture and games together <laughs> and yeah before that i was too busy uh suffering in architecture studying it. <laughs> <laughs> but as soon as i had time i i really wanted to get more involved in the in the game gaming industry and we started doing game jams together uh after we created to be honest, create, creating our own murder mysteries from scratch is was kind of the the kickoff point for both of us to work together because we knew they were good. We knew our friends really, really loved them. And they were written out. And I'm like, let's just, you know, polish them, write them out properly, make sure everything's everything's all right. You can you can do the art and graphic design and let's let's, you know, put them up online for people to use. Uh and that was our starting point. So we did two murder mysteries, put them up online. And we published uh, we published them during the time when oh, yeah. the worst point of the pandemic when no one could meet up in person. <laughs> We've so we they were a bit of a flop in like regards to reception. Uh-huh. We finished our first one, released it as soon as the pandemic hit. So that was great. Uh, and we had some people play them online at least, but obviously not the best reception. But Not the same, yeah. Yeah. But after that, it kind of gave us the confidence that, you know, we have the skills together um, to create other kinds of games. And we, we love tabletop role-playing games. Um, we, Flair had had the idea, this initial concept that ended up being flabbergasted and we decided to you know uh, create an idea together and pitch it to was a a local fund so Mm -hmm. and we did end up getting that fund so that was that was how we started making a tabletop role-playing game we got this arts fund that was enough of enough money to to get illustrators and proofreaders whatever editors sensitivity reader everything you need because uh, yeah. it costs quite a bit to actually make a, a tabletop playing game. Um, marketing, obviously, we needed quite a decent marketing Transport, budget. Yeah. But, you know, without that, it would have been a lot riskier. So luckily, we got some funds to at least create the initial version of Fabric Acid. Um, and here we are. <laughs> now we're going on Kickstarter. So the Insider Insight series is my opportunity to sit down with designers, developers, artists, writers, and creators and learn how they approach their work. I try to understand their process, inspiration, and methods for crafting their creations. So I want to dive in a little bit more because your your situation is very, very unique. One, you're two sisters that like each other. That's unique, right? You're, you're supposed to hate each other, but yeah. you don't. So that's good. Um, you both... Uh, I, I imagine there's an overlap in your interests and your skill sets, but it sounds like there's also, you know, stuff that Fleur is good at and stuff that Chelsea is good at. Um, when when you now approach this, and we're going to have a whole segment about Flabbergasted, but as you approached Flabbergasted, did you find where did you find your roles to be? So where where is where does Chelsea 
crucial to the process? Where is FLIR crucial to the process? Where, wh- what roles do you play in this process? Well, FLIR is incredibly creative, very artistic. She's, she does the graphic design and illustration. And I'm not going to... I She has a lot more experience in the game industry than I do. I just love storytelling and I loved writing mainly fan fiction before but I, I would write a lot <laughs> <laughs> and and I obviously ha- I have I had a passion for digital games I just didn't have a lot of practical uh experience like Flair did um but I do a lot of the writing um game design I am currently working as a project manager so at least I have that I keep us on track it's a big deal I boss us around it's pretty good <laughs> um and recently I've, well, I've, I've been doing it mostly by experimentation, but I'm, I'm doing a lot of, the, a lot of our marketing. And in fact, I just enrolled in a course and I'm going to continue on marketing. It's Very cool. Kind of, uh, kickstarted that passion for me. And I also think it's really, it's an important skill for, for one of us to have. So like that, we kind of cover all the basis of everything we need to, we need to have to make tabletop opening games. So I'd be interested for you, Chelsea, and we'll, we'll uh, Flora, I've got a similar question for you. What I have found when I talk to people that work as a team, right? So I've talked, I've talked to partners. I've, uh, this is my first time talking to, to siblings. But what I found is we say, okay, Fleur is very good at the graphic design, the visuals and things like that. But I also find that there's an interesting feedback loop, right? So you hand that off to Fleur. Fleur does what Fleur does well, but it comes back to you, Chelsea. Do you find that you offer a contribution in that process, right? So it's not all her. Where do you find that you can contribute to what Fleur does well? Does that make sense as part of the feedback? I mean, I think Fleur can agree. I'm pretty picky. <laughs> whenever, <laughs> she, whenever she shows me anything, it's not that I should be picky, but I am. I can't, I can't help it. Like, I'm like, oh, move this here, move, do this, do that. Um, I just, I guess, um, and I, th- I guess because we are sisters, we say this a lot, it, it really works. I feel like if I had to work with anyone else, I would be a bit cautious about what I say. I know whatever I tell Flesh is not going to get offended. Like not, nothing, nothing offends She'll us. She'll be your sister. But sometimes I'll find uh, I'll give her the PDF to go over and like double check it, and, and then like, she comes back some comments. comments and- <laughs> I'm like, all the comments are like, "What the hell is this shit? What's this? Clean this up!" <laughs> you can't, do you know what you're doing? <laughs> this is like two pixels. <laughs> Fix this. Um, <laughs> But we honestly, we honestly never fight. We just, um, I feel like I also can um, pitch any ideas to Flair and not be embarrassed because she just might say, That's she'll just fantastic. shut it down and say no and I won't be offended. Yep. Or I, we, work, we work very well together, I'm not going to lie. It might not work for other people if maybe you're slightly more sensitive, but for us it's just, sure, it works. Yeah, so for you, Flair, same type of thing, right? So you, there's things that you're good at. Um, when you... Think about Chelsea's contribution. Where is where is Chelsea crucial to this for you? Uh, wait, with regards to like the design stuff or in the whole process? Just working uh, together, you know, whether it be on the murder mysteries, on flabbergasted, just, um, I mean, you guys are, are a partnership. And, yeah. And like I said, you know, e- each of you have, have your own things that you're great at. So uh, where do you see Chelsea being a critical part of this partner? I think more than like having a clear separation of, um, okay, I do this set of things like I mean yeah there's some some things are a bit more clear like she I know she's more on editing I'm more on design um uh but I like the best thing that you could have even in like in a joint partnership is that 
if something needs to get done, you like, you have someone that you can work together with and like, Mm -hmm. um, and and who's not going to draw a line and be like, no, I'm not going to like, just bother answering those emails. I have to work on the design. It's, um, working together to do like what needs to get done. And that's like, what's so invaluable working with Chelsea that, you know, there's going to be, if you're doing everything together from scratch, uh, running every single section of publishing a game, there's going to be a lot of like boring things as well involved with this. We've, I've read our, we've read our book like over, oh my God, like 10 times or over. Like I'm so sick of some of this stuff. I'm really, um, uh, but yeah, just that you can, someone can get their head down, like not complain about what they're doing and just, and like, I don't know how to do this thing on Facebook, but I'm just going to do a tutorial and just do it. And then, then it becomes like her thing, you know, like, um, for instance, I, I really hate like sending emails and this kind of stuff. I, it's, I get very, uh, nervous. Yeah, doing you don't love talking yeah. to people. And I am unfortunate <laughs> talking to people as in either answering messages, cold messaging, really yeah, kind of thing. Like, mean. Uh, yeah rather than this this is fine <laughs> this is good we like people we like you <laughs> so Fleur, I, I i sympathize with you because I, i'm an introvert right and uh you know obviously you get me on an interview like this like i'm having a blast right now this is this is fun for me i enjoy this but if you're like and you maybe you're not Fleur. for me it's exhausting right so after this interview I'm going to be exhausted because it, it takes a tremendous amount of energy for me to 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 do this. Um, whereas for some other people, for extroverts, this is where they gain their mm-hmm. energy. So my wife is an extrovert and like this is how she recharges is having conversations and talking. I recharge by myself on my computer, <laughs> you know, or, you know, by myself reading a book and things like that. Is that true for you, Fleur? I think it's a mix. Like, I wouldn't say I'm a complete introvert. Um, for instance, I, I used to do a lot of, like, uh, comic conventions. I used to, like, display art and that kind of stuff. And I loved it. I was very energized doing it, you know, like, two, three days of talking to people, meeting everyone. But then after that, it's like, I don't want to talk to anyone for, like, the rest of the month. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, I can do it for a bit longer, but, yeah. That's very, yeah. very cool. Um, so now, as somebody who has produced and put put out art, um, Fleur. One of the things that I always find fascinating, and now you're about to put this game out on Kickstarter, is um, I call creator armor, right? So the ability to, to put, because we put ourselves in our work, right? And the ability to put our work out there to be exposed and to be to be used and to be to be commented on. How how is that for you? Is that uh, something that you've gotten better at? Is it something that's very difficult still? Is it something that doesn't bother you? How do you handle the criticisms, the comments, um, and not just with the new stuff, but throughout your whole career? I well, how do I handle it? Badly. <laughs> it's my answer. It's it's. I, it's very, very like true. I, you put so much, like, I feel if someone has a negative comment about what I'm putting out, it's like a, I take it so, so personally. And I could receive a thousand good comments and one bad one. And that one bad one is going to like haunt me in my sleep. Yep. Um, so do I have a good, (laughs) (laughs) I can confirm Flair is not the best. so I, there are some things where I have gotten better at. So like, um, I'm a lot more confident now, like when we're putting together fabric acid, right? I'm quite confident, at least like visually it's, I, I know, it's, it's, it's I know, beautiful. I know it's good. And yeah, so I am, I am like, even if someone says like, it's not that good, or I think I've definitely developed, uh, more of an understanding, at least when it comes to art and design that like, 
you know, something can be good, but not to someone's taste. So I am, I have gotten better at separating that where someone can be like, yeah. oh, your art's cute and stuff. But it's, you know, I'm not going to hang it on my wall or whatever, but I'm okay with that now. It's gotten better there. Uh, but now just like as an entire project, because this is our first time we're putting together like uh, a design, like our whole, um, like what tone we're going to capture in, in our game, what subject matter, well, this our writing style, this is stuff that's for us like untested. Right. And uh, yeah, I, I'm very protective over it. I, I don't have a, I don't have a thick skin for it. And uh, even though all the comments so far have been very, very positive, uh, but if for instance, like, someone was played our game and then at the end they're like oh yeah yeah it was nice i had fun i'm like that's it that's all you're <laughs> say play. <laughs> do you know how much work i put into this I'll just say, like, <laughs> after our after we, we we worked for months on flabbergasted and we had our first play testing session and we got positive feedback after everyone left fleur told me did we actually create a good game <laughs> like, it's like it was it's actually good <laughs> she's uh <laughs> Fair uh-huh. doesn't realize she's obviously she's very skilled and talented, but right. she and then she's very sensitive when it comes to to our game. I have an example of one of one where so we were marketing our game and I use some keywords like for oh like faulty sorry by faulty towers um what is this what is the right uh, uh, oh my God, and, and I write around the world in eighty days and I wrote something like lighthearted comedies about in these three uh, titles. And then someone left the comment, like, since when is around the world in 80 days a comedy? And then uh, it's pointless. It doesn't even mean anything. Yet I went through all of our descriptions and changed the wording because it affected me so much. I had to rewrite it to lighthearted adventures like around the world in the days and comedies like these. And it wasn't even a negative comment, but it just really... It's it, so so, Floor. I'm I'm very much like you, uh, and and like as you're talking, I'm feeling like visceral the feelings that you're talking about because I I completely get it. And the uh, one bad comment to a thousand great comments. Mm-hmm. I feel that in my heart and see that for exactly what it is. Um, there was a uh, Robin D. Laws. Uh, I interviewed him, and I I said, you know, how do you? I asked him a similar question. I said, how do you handle criticism? And God, I wish I could be like him in this respect. He goes, uh, that, I just know that game's not for them. I'm like, oh, oh, wow. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) I wish. I think even even if I had published 10 games at this point, like maybe by the point I'd I'd start to feel a little bit better. Like, but it's It's not easy. It's not not easy. So um, last question, then we'll we'll break and talk about flabbergasted uh, because I'm fascinated by this floor. You meant you, you hinted at it. What have you done to get better at handling that feedback and, and taking that in and and not letting it consume you? Because it can be a creative blocker in a lot of ways because it could stop you in the creative process. But you hinted that you've gotten better at it. Can you can you talk to me about that? Like, what do you think you've done that's allowed you to free yourself a little bit from that? Um, it's going to sound a little bit like uh, how, what's the word for it? Like not pessimistic. But like- where maybe defeatist, <laughs> which is that like being in the art um, community, um, so many artists like put their identity in being an artist, mm. and they they work to like I'm not constantly drawing of all this, and yeah. I'm not getting more followers. Mm. I'm not working as an artist, and I suffered a lot from that. Yeah, you get to the point where I injure my hand doing this kind of stuff, you know. Mm. Um. And I, I think it just takes, it just took me like 
time and working professionally in the career to start to separate that uh, nothing is even if I stopped like I don't draw as often anymore because like it, it hurts my hand a bit sometimes yeah. um, but like even if I haven't produced an artwork in like the last year or two it's not going to stop me from being a creative from being a creative person and it, my identity is not tied to that there's just uh, more to me than just living for this kind of like or one particular like uh, creative field like now I've expanded like I enjoy doing so many things we enjoy like writing role-playing games I like doing like crafts and stuff and so um I think I lost the point from the question how was it and so that we um, yeah in many ways you've answered it for me because I think that I think the concept of of separating your identity right so we can put ourselves into our work but that doesn't mean that our work defines who we are. Yes, being able, yes. It sounds to me like, Fleur, you're starting to understand that there's a separation that's that's, yes, that's there. Um, and, I, and I completely, uh, completely understand that. I mean, then there was also a bit of like, I've been doing this for a while, like, you know, uh, working like professionally, like now 12 years or so. And some things that like if you were, I was a young green artist, like certain critiques would affect me more. But now professionally, you know, I've had some successes, a couple of failures as well. But I know like... I produce work that is good. Other like companies tell me it's good. Individuals tell me mm-hmm. it's good. Um, so I've become less like uh, pressure, like precious over it because I know I've had you've had some successes under your belt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think it, it's a huge step. I think Fleur to be able to say, I'm you know it's okay. You don't like this. I know it's good. And I know that sounds silly to, for some people to hear, but that's a big deal. The, mm-hmm. the ability to just say you know, it's not for you. And that kind of gets to that Robin Laws quote that I was saying. Yeah. And, and and that's a huge step, I think. Chelsea, do you suffer from this at all? Or do, you, do you find yourself being sensitive in the way, same way Flora and I are? <laughs> uh, not as much as Fleur. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> like I have, I have no right to be optimistic all built, the time. Right? <laughs> like, uh, as we're approaching our launch date, um, I would say uh, probably if, if you do suffer from, if you're very pessimistic and defeatist, it, would definitely help to have more optimistic people around you. So if you're working, like Fleur, we work together. And all, all I can say is that Fleur this week, every day has either called me to say, we're not going to do well. We're not going to reach our funding goal. Uh, I feel sick. <laughs> every day she wakes up feeling sick. And I'm there like, no, we're going to do it. We're going to, uh, you'll see, the first day is going to be great. Blah, blah. So um, it helps to have optimistic people around you. Um, I agree. And obviously, I'm not immune to this. I've had uh, times where I, I I feel like I've made something that isn't that isn't the best, or people don't receive it well. But again, I have other people around me who will tell me, "No, you did a good job." I'm Sometimes so proud you just need someone to remind you, like, "What are you talking about?" Like, I had a point where I wanted to quit art completely, and then my dad told me, "He's like." You just had like a really big book deal this year. They sought you out from America, whatever, and you want to quit? I'm like, okay. Right, right. It helps. It helps to have people around you. I have no tips on how to figure it out on your own because when you're pessimistic, uh, it can be hard to get out of it. So having people around you is the best advice, I think. And, and I, I think that the other thing I'll throw out there, um, especially for the listeners, because um, I, 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 there's people that are listening right now to us and they're, they they understand exactly what we're talking about. But there's other people that are listening that that, that this isn't part of their experience. Right. And uh, it's not a matter that they don't get it. They just haven't lived it. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't necessarily resonate. The one thing that I have been doing and I really have been trying to encourage other people to do is we tend to voice 
when we disagree. We tend to voice when we don't like something. And I, one thing I've been trying to do is every time I come across something I like, I've I'm pushing myself to to tell that person like I enjoyed this. And, and and I and it sounds dumb, but 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 we don't do that, right? We tend to we tend to be we tend to be inspired to to voice our disagreements and inspired to say I don't like this. And having been on the receiving end of someone going, I really enjoyed this, and how powerful that mm-hmm. is, and how much like that's like, oh God, that makes me so happy. It, it, I realized that I wasn't doing it enough, right? Um, so so that's my that's my uh, 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 soap. Soapbox to you listeners is when you come across something you like, share it with other people and and track down the people responsible for it and shoot them two sentences because it will it will encourage them to make more stuff for you that you like. So there, that is that is the message for our first segment. So let's take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I am dying to talk about this game. When Fleur and Chelsea reached out to me for the first time and said, hey, Craig, we'd love, you know, we'd love to talk to you about this game. I'm like, well, what's the game? And the pitch on it, I was like, yeah, like, yeah, let's do this. This sounds <laughs> phenomenal. So let's take a quick break. We'll talk about Flabbergast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Alexander Zdanchuk from Riga, Latvia, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars. Those guys open the beauty of Malifo 3rd Edition to me and continue to provide tons of great content. You can support them too. Follow the links in the show notes below or search for Third Floor Wars at patreon.com. Right now is the part of many podcasts where someone comes on interrupts the show and explains that you should consider paying for the content you're already getting for free. They'll go on and explain that by giving a dollar or more a month, you not only support the show, but you allow the show to grow and improve. Here on the third floor, we commit to not interrupting your episode of Tabletop Talk with such a plea. We pledge not to run a spot asking you to go to patreon.com and give a dollar or more a month. Even if there's a link in this show's description, and there is, we won't ask you to click it and become a patron. We won't spend time yammering about the benefits like early access to episodes, getting those episodes without ad breaks, or even getting a chance to play in one of Craig's RPG sessions. Anyway, enjoy this episode. We needed to clarify that we wouldn't do this type of solicitation.
I'd like to take a moment to give a shout out to some of the original patrons that started us on this journey. Special thanks to Jesse Ellis, Sam Newman, Nick Westbrook, Jim Ortiz, Kevin Smith, Keith Suderman, Matthew Riddle, Dane Leergaard, Jeremy Peace, Bookie Gunner, Chris Blue, Voslov, Kim Otto Nielsen, Rolf Randall, John Haas, Cody Hyatt, Michael Roper, Ambrose Ingram, Pudgy Hobbit, Kaiser and Crimson, Brandon Sommer, Jason Reddy, Jason Burry, Kylie Woodland, Brian Schooner, Alan Voltz, and Owen. Because of you and the 100 other plus patrons, I'm able to put out content on a regular basis, and I appreciate it. So like I mentioned before the break, um, this pitch sucked me in immediately. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it with you so that we can talk about how this thing happened. So Flabbergasted, it's a rules light and narrative driven tabletop RPG set in the roaring 20s. Comedic scenarios and lighthearted adventures are the heart of Flabbergasted, drawing inspirations from Jeeves and Wooster, Faulty Towers, and Around the World in 80 Days. So the Around the World in 80 Days, I'm like, okay, I've kind of seen stuff like that before. And the but the Jeeves and Wooster, and then the Faulty Towers, I was like, this, I like, I got to understand this game. So um, let's start with you, Fleur. When you you now are kind of on the downhill of creating flabbergasted, right? I mean, I've seen the PDF. It's amazing. It's gorgeous. The, the, uh, the copy is phenomenal. It really captures it, but I want, I want to go way, way back. Like at some point, the concept did not exist anywhere. And then there was a little seed. One of you said something that, that started this being planted out. So do you remember that Fleur? What was, where do you trace back the very beginnings of flabbergasted? So, it all started when Netflix launched Bridgerton. <laughs> it was in the midst of the pandemic. We were all just staying indoors, watching, binging all these shows. And uh, I was looking forward to um, Bridgerton coming out. Yeah. We're, we've been fans of period dramas for quite a while. I love, I love it from the costuming, the, the eras, just the, the, roman- the romantic aspect to it. Um, so, yeah, I was very excited for that show. And, uh, like, you know, watching through that show again, it, like... Um, uh, inspired me to, you know, delve into it. You know, I've got, I'm like, what am I going to watch next? What am I going to read next? So I just went on a deep dive, you know, going through like, oh, I'm going to watch Downton Abbey again. And uh, um, and just somehow through this, I we came across the books of uh, P.G. Uh, Wodehouse, the Jason Wooster's uh, yep. series. What did I call it? Wodehouse? Wodehouse. Wodehouse, yeah. <laughs> Wodehouse, yeah. Um, yeah, I had the Jeeves and Wooster series. And uh, I I loved it. I, I think the, the books are, I mean, they're not they're not perfect like like they're they were done of their time but there's just so much to still enjoy in it just the character dynamics the language is so so funny in it i thought it was really clever and yeah i just really enjoyed uh, those books um and then that kind of like led me on to a a series of like looking up more content that's like inspired by this i'm like is there a more modern take on this you know or i watched some of the tv show as well with fry and stephen fry and uh oh, and yeah. uh Hugh uh, then I came across like this, um, this, this choice based like mobile game that's like really inspired by this, this setting, Interesting. Um, by it's a company called choice of games. They do these like choice based adventure games on your phone, just all text. And there's one that's very much inspired by this. And like at that moment, I'm like, you know, because they had a couple of like stats in it as well. I'm like, ah, oh, oh, I can like mm. build up like a game, mm. like seeing mm. this kind of thing, like, you know, period drama, comedy kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, like after that, like I started like tossing the idea around with Chelsea, um, 
just telling her, like, how about, like, uh, I don't know, 1920s comedy? But there was still, like, a lot of elements missing. I knew at the point, like, I'm like, oh, it's really funny, like, to have the aristocrat, like, the bumbling aristocrat, and then, like, your your Jeeves, very competent. Uh, like, I, I, would, I, I really want to play, like, a Jeeves-type character. So I wanted to make something like that. And then, strangely enough, the thing that tied this all in together for me was, again, Netflix watching a late night evening, randomly put on the, the Around the World in 80 Days starring Jackie Chan. Oh. <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not, a great, not a particularly great movie. I'm watching it and cringing. But uh, the start of that movie, uh, you have... It, the start of the, of the story is the, the guy, Phineas Fogg, whatever, Phineas Fogg, he is, he's part of a, a club, the, the Reform Club. And he, 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 the, his other club members to give him a challenge to go around the world in 80 days. And at that moment, it all like clicked for me. And probably oh, why I kept watching know. the film, because <laughs> I'm like, oh, I need to get some reason. Where we're like, okay, I know it now. They all join a club. Other clubs are giving them challenges. You have to do ridiculous things. You're going to... And that's kind of like the word, everything like uh, started to take shape. Like all those elements. I had mm-hmm. Jeeves and Wooster. I had this club idea. Um, so yeah, that's where it started. That makes a ton of sense to me. So Chelsea, Fleur, Fleur is, is being Fleur, right? So she finds something, she dives into it, and she surrounds herself with it. And and when she first presented this to you, do you remember that and what your first reaction was? I mean, I loved it. <laughs> so, uh, well, like Fleur said, especially uh, when it comes to dramas, me and Fleur just watch period dramas together or any kind of mm-hmm. drama shows. We save it so we make sure we watch it together. Uh, so it's no surprise that our first game is going to be set in a particular period. And I'm sure we'll keep making similar dramatic games. Um, but I don't remember. Did I, did I, when I told you the idea, did I have a document as well? I think no, I well, did. I think initially I, you told me to play that Choice of Games game. Game, uh-huh. game from Choice of Games. Uh, and I played it, loved it. It was a great idea to do something uh, in this period. Uh, I knew that P.G. Wodehouse was going to be a big influence. I don't remember if I just went to the library and I got every book yeah. <laughs> every every by Wodehouse and just read because uh, surprisingly I hadn't read too many Wodehouse books. So just did a deep dive into Wodehouse. Uh, and it, uh, it just kind of, I, I, I loved the idea. So there was no hesitation. We just were like, yes, this is it. Let's just keep. Mm-hmm. reading as much as we can, figure out characters. Then we, when we had the idea for the social club, it, it fell into place. We're like, okay, this is a perfect, a perfect way for a group of characters to band together and have adventures. And it's, it, we were, I think, I think I created sold. like the whole, the whole first pitch document where I'm like, I formulated all the ideas. I had all the, all the archetypes of like the character classes mm-hmm. and even just all the language starting to capture it. Um, I just like my, like sit on my laptop, sit on my laptop, and I go pacing around the room. I'm like oh, thinking in my head, and I'm like, oh, okay, I know it's already. I, I remember the first pitch. I wish we, I don't know if we still have it, but I remember the first pitch was let's say maybe a page, and then like five pages just of language that was used in the twenties that we still have, and and our, it's in our quick start as a oh, uh, lingo great. lingo sheet. But yeah, that was the first pitch. So we, we have the concept. We, we, we have a clear sense of how we want this game to look and feel, right? Because you, you've got very clear inspirations. You've got a clear sense of that. At what point do the mechanics come into play? At what point do you start thinking about 
how are we mechanically going to make this game? And, and where did that where did that start? And, and, and who was the most involved in that process? It started. It started quite early on. Um, we knew that we wanted to go uh, very like rose light and very cinematic as well. So it was so um, like inspired by Tales from the Loop, where they have mm-hmm. very minimal kind of uh, roles and, and like uh, characteristics for these um, like for a character. Um, so immediately started building up on that. And then the biggest and most uh, the biggest part of the mechanics were our scene cues, which is which is like what. Um, what a character is mostly going to be using rather than roles. And Sinkyo's um, was inspired by like the concept of, um, I think it's, it's in Blade of the Darks. Where yeah, Blade, Blade, in the, the, Blade in the Dark. Blade in the Dark. Blade in the Dark. Darks. Blade. <laughs> Blade. <laughs> where they have like these moves. It's like a, it's like a, <laughs> it's a contained like the description of like, what can you do with this move? But yeah. instead of them being physical, we did them uh, narrative based. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, uh, actually, I think I was also a bit inspired by like ad lib style of things. So where you can like fill in the blanks of the narrative. So let's say that there's a scenario, right? And you have these scene cues. You have every character has 15 scene cues and they're all uh, the narrative um, abilities that you have. So for instance, um, one of the abilities is one of the first ones I ever read was probably like throw a tantrum, throw a tantrum for the aristocrats. <laughs> we're like okay there's a scene there's a, something going on and uh you need to make a distraction what can you do i'm like i'm gonna use my ability throw a tantrum <laughs> and, and so we started building up on that like we uh started off i had this idea and then the, the hardest part was like coming up with actually 15 scene cues and testing them oh out to make sure they they Just were coming up with coming up with really clever naming because we had we had to start it off with a clever naming convention for them they couldn't be basic names they had to be like right once it started we had to continue and obviously <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> uh so yeah like the the rules like it's a lot of back and forth I, I when i write i like to pace around the whole house so i keep pacing and i run to my computer and i write down the ideas and Oh, that's great. So when I read through it, um, which, and I got to tell you, I, I, there's a lot of, a lot of neat ideas in there. So many neat ideas and, and it's a game I want to play. Um, so spoiler for everybody watching and uh, listening, <laughs> I'm going gonna, gonna to back this project, which Thank don't you. be too complimented by that because I've got a Kickstarter problem, right? Anything I find remotely <laughs> interesting, I back. Um, but um, this, this, there were some unique things in there, but I'm glad you mentioned Blades in the Dark. Because I was, you know, when I read new stuff, I always try to figure out what the DNA is, right? Where, mm-hmm. where, where are some of the things? Because as original as things are, there's always something in there. Mm-hmm. And I did notice a lot of blades in the moves idea that you talked about, Fleur. But also, I love the idea that the society also has their own sheet, which is very much like the crew yeah. sheets in Blades yes. in the Dark. Is that something that is a, it's a coincidence or did you see that mechanic in Blades and go, that works here as well? It's a half coincidence, uh, which is that I started off with the idea of the social club and having its sheet and that kind of stuff. And I wanted to do some and flesh it out more. And then like uh, my partner, who was quite a fan of Blades in the Dark, I've never played it though properly. He's like, you should check out the cruise sheets in, yeah. in Blades in the Dark, like read the whole chapter on it. And so I then I read through it. I got some ideas from it, like how they build like on their... Not, not their territories, I think. Like, and we changed up to like rules. The claims. Mm-hmm. The claims. The claims. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so instead, of, but instead of like claims, we, I reuse like some of the layouts for like uh, uh, to expand like the, the physical building of your club and mm-hmm. add more stuff to it. Add and, more members. Um, or... Yeah, but it, I think it's a very important like the, the whole club idea or like or dens or whatever. It's it's so, such a good way of 
banding a group together and people feel like so much ownership and they like to care for like you know like oh this is our clubhouse like we're gonna like deck this out make it really cool but it was it was uh the social club aspect was a coincidence if there is an overlap uh, even though later on someone mentioned that we should check out Blades in the Dark for for mm-hmm. this system, uh, it was a coincidence. I just remember our, for our earliest playtest. I don't remember Flair, but one of, one of the playtesters really wanted to expand on social clubs. But I think he was he's very into video games and he's into the part of video games where you decorate your club <laughs> and expand. And he was basically creating a full blown uh, RPG video game. Um, uh, but it gave us the idea because even you know even my uh, myself when I'm playing video games, I do love the aspect of creating your own whatever it is home, home base, home base yeah. and making it better, improving it. That might affect the number of uh, villagers or whatever in your game, and that's where the initial idea came from. Even that video game aspect where like you collect trophies throughout a game and yeah. you can display them, we added that to the club where you have a room to display your trophies. Or your- a lot of people love that aspect in video games. And I feel like this was kind of a translation of that in our tabletop role-playing game. Yeah, and so uh, here's a question for you, because this is the other thing I thought of as I read this. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, this is all great, by the way, because these are things that I love. Have you, either of you explored uh, Vason from uh, Free League yet? Vason, I, no, I haven't. All right, so you've got homework. So because <laughs> you already you already like uh, Tales from the Loop, right? Mm-hmm. So Vason is a Nordic horror game that's put out by Free League as well. And in that, there's a society, uh, and it's a society that has what's called the site, where they they are the only ones that can see the Vason, which is kind of these demonic fairy type things, um, and. And they hunt them down, right? So it's, it's a way to create a Call of Cthulhu type thing where you have a society. But, but your experience points in the game go to your headquarters and go to ba- bu- the building where you're based out of. So I think the two of you will find it interesting mm-hmm. um, because there's a, there's a flavor of that in there. And it's what I, what's great is, how do I put this? It's not, a part, it's not the part of that excites me about Vason. But it was the part that excited me about flabbergasted. So there, mm-hmm. the what you guys have done with flabbergasted made me uh, attracted me to that mechanic, which I was not like for me. It's just a, a throwaway in Vason, which I love that game. Uh, so there, now I've given you homework as well. So um, <laughs> yeah, that's I've, wonderful. Mm-hmm. I've seen it on Kickstarter. Uh, oh, it, it, and, haven't played it. And, and, and this, I've told. I've, I don't want to turn this into a, a Vason podcast, <laughs> but um, the the book is so gorgeous. And so beautiful that if you never play it, it is well worth owning. Yeah. It is one okay. of the, it, yeah. it's just so pretty. It's so pretty. Tales of the Loop is, is the same. I could gush over Free League's products or just, even if I couldn't just care about the content, it's a nice art book. Got Mark Borg on the shelf, got the, just worth having. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and their, their pattern is, is interesting because it's, they, they find artists, right? So that's how Tales of the Loop came from. They found the artist and they're so inspired by the artist. They make the game. Vason was the same way. This, uh, the person who, whose art, uh, had put out books, uh, and, and they fell in love with the books and they're like, we need to make a game about this. But, hmm. um, but I, I find it interesting that, um, you, without even 
realizing it take take you have that idea from Vason, you pull in some stuff from from Blades of the Dark, and for whatever reason, it just clicks, and 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 I'm, it makes me very very anxious to play that and to feel that part of the game. So let's talk about play testing and iteration. So there's a whole period of time where it's just Fleur and and Chelsea going back and forth and building ideas, and Fleur's pacing around and running to her <laughs> laptop, yeah. and Chelsea's saying this is garbage, and we're, we're just going all over the place. But it's when was the first time the game was exposed to outside the two of you? We started, we had the first playtest quite early on, like, which you like two months into, like, I, I, I think I put together the character sheet on the day, on the day of yeah. the playtest, really hideous thing. <laughs> um, uh, but it, I don't, it barely had, like, I think I wrote, like, they had four scene cues. I'm like, that's it, no options. There's no options, just, just these, just try them out. Um, and immediately playing that just to see if we could get the, the flavor and the setting down first and see like what they thought about and um, and then it was like that one it was very funny very spontaneous um, but uh, I think we started picking up some other things where, they, where you know as you mentioned like one of them said oh I want to have a club that I can explore and like build in the basement and all of their secret and I'm like okay you're getting a bit too into like you, I clearly you want to play D&D so go <laughs> <laughs> but there were still like lots of like good uh, feedback to to add to it so that we really built up on the club um at that point like that was a thing that we hadn't really fleshed out mm-hmm. um so then i think we had quite a quite a break from playtesting uh after that because yeah i'm actually looking up our playtests while you're talking uh because i didn't think to go back i, I forgot what, what happened in our first um, playtest, but apparently, yeah, from the first playtest, we came up with the, they came up with the idea of upgrading the social club and also mm. for the social club having its own sheet. So we didn't have a sheet before that. Isn't that interesting? Club. Yeah. And even having the number of, of members change at the end of episodes, this all came from the first playtest. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. So I'd be curious, Chelsea, if I, let's mm-hmm. pretend that I sat in on that first playtest, right? And then I play, I don't, I don't see the game after that. And then I sit down and I play what we'll get when, when the Kickstarter fulfills, what would I see has not changed. So what would I have experienced in that first play test that I will see again when I play the completed game? Hmm. Uh, well, for starters, the archetypes have not changed. Wow. That was, that was uh, the initial idea from, from all these shows and books that we've read and it stayed the same. You have four archetypes. We didn't feel we need to add more. Uh, they're all, obviously, some of their, uh, um, like their scene cues and things like that obviously have changed, but the actual archetypes have not changed. Uh, the idea of scene cues has not changed. We just added added more. Uh, trying to think. Can you think of anything else, Fleur, that hasn't changed So. I, I believe that the uh, attributes have stayed, the characteristics as well. So uh-huh. there is a secondary mechanic to scene cues where you can roll dice. So something is like beyond what's written in the scene cue, and you or you really want to like push your luck towards a character. It's very foreign to your to your archetype. Uh, you can still use dice, and mm-hmm. sure, maybe like the numbers change. Like, do you start off with three? Do you start with five? Do you start? Uh-huh. You know, That's those things have changed. Out. But but those have all stayed the same, and even the names have stayed the same as well. Very the bravado and persuasion. Was it mm-hmm. wit and sharp, yeah. creativity uh, and passion? Oh, that's oh, no. great. <laughs> oh, no. We're so, so 
You're going to get the opposite question, Fleur. Um, same scenario, right? I sat in on your first play test and, and then I don't see or hear the game and then I play the final game. What am I going to go? Holy crap. Like, like everything's changed. What do you think is the, is the big change I would have seen from that first play test of the final product? Uh, the character sheet doesn't look like it was made in MS Paint. It looks, <laughs> <laughs> it looks professional. <laughs> it looks like this is actually what you did yeah. for a living. <laughs> the, the, lines, the lines match up now. They're all like just no typos. Hopefully <laughs> not. I don't know. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, I actually think like for from a character, like the characters haven't really changed that much. Like I said, like values changed, and we've added more details to it because we want to give people more customization options. So. Um, uh, like, you know, your, there's a place for your backstories, your, we've added things like um, uh, memento. So we don't really have an, there's no inventory in this, but people still like to collect things or say, this is important to my character. So we have mementos instead. Um, and then the biggest thing is the, the club uh, setting. It's, it's, you know, from, from nothing, like apparently, I didn't even know that. Um, uh, another thing, huh? yeah, apart from social club, uh, uh, all of your actions and the adventures you're going to have, everything is going to affect your social standing. And that's also something mm. that we uh, created after our first playtest. Because uh, that will only really come into play as well if you play for longer than one than a one shot. Uh, and in the future, you know, depending on your social standing in the full game, you can join, you'll be invited to secret societies, which is another fun mechanic oh, that we cool. added later. Uh so yeah, it's changed overall. It changed quite a bit, but there are a few key. Uh, mainly, I'm surprised that the archetypes have never changed. All right, so and this is I'm going to ask Chelsea this because she's my marketing guru as part of this dynamic <laughs> <No>. duo. Uh, <laughs> you're taking my class okay, on it, Chelsea. Marketing guru. <laughs> That's what I am. Um, I, I need you to help me finish this sentence. Um, if I'm talking to a friend of mine and I say you need to check out Flabbergasted because if you like game these games you're going to love flabbergasters. So what are some other games that are out there that if someone likes those games, they, they might really like flabbergasted. Can you think of uh, other games that um, uh -huh. would, would share the same fandom? On, honestly, the first thing I can think of is good society. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I think it's from the low probably as well, just not necessarily the genre, but the, the fact that it's rules light. Mm -hmm. Um, just other rules light indie games, but I would say Good Society is the number one, I think, overlap. Um, That's great. I think, uh -huh. I think I've been told fans. people who like Blades, they said, like, if I wanted to play Blades with my friends, but they don't feel like learning a heavy rule set, I will make them play this instead. <laughs> a lot of people have liked Flabbergasted just as a rule set, not necessarily, yeah. like, to, even to just do something else instead of 1920s. And I haven't played yet, right? Um, I've only read it. Um, and I, that's, that's I think that's where I am right now, too. And of course, that'll change when I play it. Right. I'll see other things because you can read a game a million times, but until you play it mm -hmm. and you have to play with different groups to really start to digest the whole thing. But I think my pitch would be if you like Vason or Blades in the Dark and you want something that has also some faulty towers and mm -hmm. uh, some good mm -hmm. society in it. That's what this smells like to me. And I'm really anxious to play it, um, but that's what it smells like to me. So last question I always ask all my guests is 
I want to know what you love right now. So um, we'll start with you, Chelsea. What are you playing right now that you have had? Because you know, not flabbergasted, maybe not, um, uh, you know, stuff that you're doing for flabbergasted. Is there something that you're playing now? It could be a board game, a video game, a, a tabletop role playing game that, that you're obsessed with right now. What's bringing you joy that you have not created or you're not playing for flabbergasted? Uh Pretty different, but as Flair knows, I'm very obsessed with just cute, just cute, cute, simple, <laughs> uh, chill games. When I come home, I, I want to, I want to relax. I want to play some Animal Crossing. So, uh, yes. <laughs> some Stardew Valley. Uh, when it comes to tabletop hovering games, Flair knows I really, really loved Humblewood and I mm. GM that. I just, I love cute. I love happy, happy <laughs> That's things. That's good. <laughs> Uh, I really like playing uh, episode, episodic narrative games, d- uh, video games. Um, and I do play a lot of board games. I have uh, an op- a ridiculous collection here. <laughs> uh, so do I. I yeah. get that. Yeah, there's, there's two hobbies, right? There's playing board games and, and buying collect- board games. I, I, They're two, two different games, two different hobbies. I buy way too quickly for me to play them. <laughs> so the- exactly. But I really like cooperative games then when it comes to to board games. Uh, really What's a cooperative love, board game you really love? Well, not co- I was going to say something else, but I really love Wingspan. Just want to mention that. Oh, I, I have, can you believe I've not played it yet? And really which, which is embarrassing, right? Because like, it, it's like the biggest thing uh, for the past, what, two years now? And I just yeah, have not had, so and it's because of the pandemic, I just not had a chance to sit down and I play would, the I would thing. say I'm the kind of gamer who is just way more into aesthetics and the theme. Than anything yeah. else. Yeah. Like uh, I, I cannot play. I cannot play any horror. I cannot play anything that's that's dark visually. Mm-hmm. I want to be chill, no stress. <laughs> I hate hate video games that have sneaking in them or <laughs> anything where I'm agitated. No, thank you. You have uh, enough stress in your life. You don't yes. want that to be part of your relaxation. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's why I think of what. So don't uh, buy Vason then. By the way. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't get basic. We'll let Flora buy it. I still want to. I want to for for the art. That's uh, so good. Don't know. We we play even though it's it's a bit too close to home. We play Pandemic quite a lot. Board game. Yeah, great game. <laughs> it's, good, it's a great it's good game. It's a great co op game. Yeah. So how about you, Flora? What are you just jamming on right now? What are you loving um, that lets you uh, enjoy and unwind? Well, I'm gonna be. The boring. Well, I'm mostly just reading these days because I try and avoid sitting so much at my computer. And Good for you. So it's mostly read. I've read, I've been to reading this year a lot. We started a book club together as well. Sorry. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> many, our mini side project. <laughs> um, I did finish uh, Life is Strange, the new one recently. It was very cute. Life is Strange, two colors. And I, I'm gonna maybe buy Death Loop <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> Um, I can't decide if that interests me or not. Uh, I hear people talk about it and the people that love Deathloop love Deathloop, but I can't decide if it's for me. Well, I really love Dishonored, so yeah. So I probably will like this. Um, yep. And uh, and also another game I really, really want to play, I'm, but I'm probably going to wait until after the Kickstarter campaign, like it's just been too chaotic, yeah, uh, okay. which is, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, uh, Disco Elysium. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, we don't play that. It's a, it's a, um, it's a narrative like uh, you know a choice, a point and click kind of game. Ah. But um, I can't even explain what the setting is. It's so 
trippy and you you're you're you play this cop who wakes up with all the memory and trying to piece back uh your uh your memory but you just have to look at it. it's beautiful beautiful game. The it design is, is gorgeous um but again it's, it's a narrative driven game so i really love i love point and click adventure games um and yeah not too much playing for me maybe like after the camp kickstarter campaign i can like dive into some other games but mostly just reading so we're, record, we're recording this right before the Kickstarter comes out. But by the, by the time you're listening to this, uh, the Kickstarter is out there and it's live. Um, when you scroll down, you'll see the link to it. Um, you'll see me talking about it on Twitter and things like that. Um, I've also a lot of stuff that we've already talked about. I'm going to link in the show notes as well. But um, for people listening, uh, we'll start with you, Chelsea. If, if someone wants to get more Chelsea outside of Flabbergasted, is there is there anywhere they should go? Is there a Twitter account or is there Instagram or is there any place where people can interact and and uh, uh, kind of look at your stuff more. Uh, so I'm on I'm on Twitter as Cheltator, nice. and you can find me on Instagram as well uh, as Chelsea SCI. Uh, I'm mostly I mostly chat on Twitter these days. So Beautiful. if you ever want to talk or just tweet tweet at Wanderstone, uh, we're there all the, all the time. Excellent. <laughs> and how about somebody who wants more Fleur? So. On Twitter, I am also Flirtator. That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have the same last name, yeah. right? Your sisters. <laughs> we literally created our Twitter accounts on the same day. I'm like, what do you call your account? She's like, Flirtator. Oh, okay, Flirtator. Sure. <laughs> and then I'm just uh, Flirtatino. Um, check spelling on the show notes <laughs> uh, on Instagram. And there's some like art there. And uh, there's my website as well. Just, it's also flirtatino.com. Wonderful. Wonderful. So guys and gals, uh, follow the link to the Kickstarter. Check this game out. You're going to notice that it's it's unique. It's gorgeous. The setting is fun. The approach is fun. It's different than anything that's on your shelf right now. So uh, be, be sure to check it out and uh, join me in backing it. Uh, Chelsea and Flora, this was a phenomenal, phenomenal hour and a half, two hours with it. So thank you thank so you. much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Me oh, too. It was great. And um, we'll uh, come up with an excuse to have you guys come back on. But I also... I appreciate you listening right now. You sat through this whole thing. You listened to this whole thing. And I appreciate you doing that. Take care. Hey, did you hear that? You leveled up. You finished another episode of Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you want more from the third floor, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Head on over to our YouTube channel. It is packed with painting tutorials, gaming tips, battle reports, and role-playing actual plays. Did you enjoy this episode? Why don't you send a link to one of your friends so they can enjoy it too? Last but not least, write us a review on your podcatcher of choice. This helps us find listeners almost as cool as you. Well, that was a great first segment. Exactly (laughs) what I love doing. Exactly what I love doing. That was fantastic. Good, glad to hear. Still not um, used so to doing interviews. We're, so. getting, we're getting better. We're getting better. For like. you're, you're phenomenal. You both are phenomenal. You're both very, very good at it. Um, and you're you're um, you're being very generous. Um, you know, as far as you know, taking things where they, this is great. This is great. All right. Um, so, and this might be different than some of the other other interviews you do. We'll we'll start off talking about what flabbergasted is. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I really want to understand on this podcast is the process. 
and I want to understand the inspiration. So Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about what it is, but I want to figure out how it happened. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Yes. You'll you'll notice that that's where my questions will be, just so you know. Um, uh, That's fine uh, with me. I hate giving the elevator pitch of our game. I'll just be like, just look at the game and ask you. (laughs) Go on our website. And I'm going to do the little elevator pitch based off of off of uh, uh, your copy. Um, so Thank we you. don't even have to spend a tough, ton of time there because I'm the same way. Um, I, want, I want to figure out how this damn thing got made. So, all right, I'll bring us back. Hey, are you still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over. And you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers? Well... I mean, if you're here, might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it on whatever platform you're listening to. I do appreciate you sticking around. Take care.